listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. The ushers are coming forward with Bibles, and I encourage you to take your Bible and uh, turn to 1 John chapter 2 as we're continuing on in the series here from 1 John. They're coming forward with these Bibles, want you to have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible at home, you've lost it, or whatever it might be, please take one of these Bibles with you, take it home. It's our gift to you. It will change your life. It'll transform you as we get into the Word of God, as we hear the Word of God, as we proclaim God's Word, as we live the Word of God. Of God, and so we're in First John chapter two, and and uh, are continuing on in our series here. I'm just wondering today, how many of you would ever admit that you have at times have been driving, and you've been driving maybe for some time, and then all of a sudden you realize, uh oh, I'm heading the wrong way. Has that ever happened to any of you? Yeah, yeah okay, that's happened, or has it happened to to uh, to you in a vehicle that you were in, perhaps, you know, by someone else who was driving, or or maybe somebody who gave you the wrong, um, you know, directions. I mean, this can be incredibly frustrating frustrating when this happens. We've had it happen a number of times and you end up being a little grouchy, a little upset and you're just wondering how did I miss that or you know the crazy GPS not working right or you know the way that we read the map or the directions I were given and all of these different things. The results of that sort of thing are pretty minor. You know, some extra gas, some lost time, perhaps it made you late for a meeting, maybe you got, uh, I told you so from, from someone, um, maybe it was uh, even one of the other passengers, or, or maybe it even resulted in some, some red and blue lights in the rear view mirror of your vehicle um, because you were now excessively speeding because you're trying to make up for lost time. I mean, the, the results of that sort of thing, frustrating, but not a huge deal in the scheme of, of life, in the whole plan of life. In Matthew chapter 7, though, Jesus spoke about a road or a way that can lead to life and a road or a way that can lead to death and destruction. Go down the wrong road and it will lead you wrong. It will lead you to death and destruction is what Jesus um, proclaims to us in Matthew chapter 7. And, and just let, let's look at these words. It'll be on the screen here from, um, in, in verse 13. It says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the, and the way, or some translations will say road, is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it, who enter by it, are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Those are sobering words from Jesus, saying there's a right way and there's a wrong way to go about living your life. And just encourage you to underline those words in, in, in your Bibles where it says the way is hard and those who find it are few. Those are sobering words. Those are words that need to make us pay attention to what God's word has to say here in this passage, but throughout the word of God. Now, John the Apostle has been writing this, this letter to the church, and he writes it to us today under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And no doubt John would have heard Jesus teaching here from the Sermon on the Mount. He would have heard Jesus personally tell people this and, and over and over again in his teaching. And, and, and throughout the decades, the Apostle John would have witnessed 
false teachers who are trying to pull people astray and, 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 and he's watched people who are going down this other road that leads to destruction, the attractive road, the road that looks like it's life but in the end leads to death. And so he's been watching this and so he's writing 1 John under the inspiration of Holy Spirit so that we can carve out, so we can understand and see what does an authentic faith look like? What does an authentic faith in Jesus Christ look like? Because again, and we've been emphasizing this, that there's a great danger in us thinking that just in simply praying a prayer or signing a card or, 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 or raising your hand or, or being baptized as an infant or even as an adult or you've gone to some classes and even graduated from those classes or have gone through some other sort of form of rituals or something that in the end that will save you, that that will, will, will mean that, that, that you have eternal life because of that and, 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 and it, a lot of these things are external things but it's not about external attitudes, actions, words, or activities. It is about the heart. And the Bible never tells us that a prayer saves us. It doesn't say that any sort of works that are done to us or works that we do will save us. There's only one way to be saved, and it starts with Jesus. And that's what we've been emphasizing here in this series. In Acts 16, we are told, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That word believe just isn't a nice little mental understanding of understanding Jesus in Bethlehem and then Jesus on the cross. It is that word believe is entrust my life to, cling to, change my life around, that I would believe in Jesus Christ. Believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And, and, and from there, we start this journey in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's in this personal, genuine relationship with God that, that begins with us in repentance and faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And it all starts with Jesus, having the right view of who Jesus is. Not cultural view of Jesus, but who the Bible says Jesus is. And it all starts with him. And it all flows out from there. And, and from that, we desire to live a life of obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, if we love Jesus, we're going to keep his commands. We're going to want to follow him and, and do what his, works, his word says. But we have to understand his word isn't just some like tough rule book and kind of instruction guide that we have to follow. You know, it is, it is a life book. It is instructions. But it's not to be beat over our heads and to say, do this in order to be saved. No, not at all. It is, it is a response out of our love for God, our obedience. Look at this quote. You may want to write it down. Obedience is not the focus, but it's the fruit of our lives. As we abide in Christ, as we love Jesus, as we grow in our understanding of Jesus, obedience becomes that fruitfulness of we just want to obey him. Not because we have to, but because we want to. Our fellowship with the Father, it ends up changing the way that we see Jesus. And what flows out of that is a genuine, growing obedience to the word of God, but also a love for brothers and sisters, for a growing love for one another. And an authentic faith is, is marked with a right understanding and a belief in Jesus Christ. Christ in, in the gospel and all that that is. And then it's, it's displayed in a life of obedience. And, and that life of obedience is lived out in, in a love for others, a love for God and a love for others. And last week, we took a look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 to 14. We looked at a road that leads to life. And we saw that as believers in Christ, we all start out as spiritual infants. Even if you're 80 years old and you've 
come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior at the age of 80, you are considered a spiritual infant, a baby. We are born again, and the new life has begun. But we don't stay infants. We grow on from there. And we talked about, just in those, in those verses, we saw the progression, how we grow like young children in our understanding of the Father's love, how much he loves us and how much he cares for us, how much he protects us, how we are adopted by him, and we are part of his family. But we move on from that in a growing understanding, like young men who are maturing in the word of God, who are becoming wise or able to stand off the attacks of the enemy through the word of God because there's a maturing process that's taking place in our lives. And that's why it's important that we are in the word of God. We're growing in the word of God, not just in the nice little Bible stories that we were taught in Sunday school, but understanding the doctrines, understanding what it really means to have an authentic faith in Jesus Christ, even in theological terms, and, and to grow in those areas in our, in our faith and in our understanding in order to live it and to share it with others. But then from that, we saw the example of the wise, the mature father, the, the one who is, has an ongoing, not settling, an ongoing deepening love for God. And that is the road to life. It's the road of spiritual maturity. And it's a slow road. It's a gradual road. Sometimes it's a very frustrating road because it's filled with all kinds of ups and downs. And we have seasons in our lives. I don't know if you're, if you're in this category at all. Seasons of great faith. Seasons of just being so close to God and just experiencing him. And then it's seasons in the valley. And it's seasons, where are you, God? What is going on in, in, in my life? What's going on around me? There's times of such clarity. And then there's times of confusion. There's times of blessing. And then there's times that certainly don't look like a blessing. And I don't know where you're at today. You're probably somewhere in this mix of what I've explained here. Yet through it all, as we grow, as we're on the road that leads to life, this road of spiritual maturity, we end up seeing the blessings that, that flow. And we see that God is faithful. And even this past week, this passage as we've been looking at this just caused me to look at some of the major heartaches that I've experienced in my own life. And, and, and your heartaches have been different than mine. And some of yours, if we were to compare them on a scale, I mean, mine wouldn't even necessarily come close to some of the things that some of you have walked through and experienced. But for the ones that God has allowed to happen in my life, he has taught me much from the death of a loved one, a, a, a relative that I loved and, and was very close to. He was like a brother to me from, from battling in incredible, intense, almost life-sucking anxiety and fear in my life that I thought was going to put me in an early grave to even the loss of a job and, and potentially the loss of a career and thinking that my, my, my future was uncertain. And yet all of those at times, I walked through those valleys and those difficulties and, 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 and with the help of others and with the help of the word of God, I can stand today and say those have become blessings. And those times of confusion and hurt and, and grow in your understanding of what God has done and what God is doing and that his plan is good and it's right and his plan is, is for our good, not for our harm. And he will take us through these valleys and through this we grow and mature. But you don't do it alone. You need one another. That's why we have the body of Christ. That's why we're filling up a theater here on a Sunday morning. But more than that, that's why we talk in the lobby and drink coffee afterwards to get to know one another. But then that's why we also have small groups and we serve together. And that's why we even have this opportunity on Wednesday nights, he said sign up, don't sign up, just show up on, on Wednesday night to come and learn uh, from God's word about what it means to be worshipers, what it means to be the body of Christ, to learn and grow throughout all of life. We're worshiping someone in something all week long. Who are we worshiping? And we have an opportunity to learn and grow in that. So that's the road that leads to life. 
It's marked by a deepening love and a pursuit of God. Sometimes hard, sometimes frustrating. You don't do it alone. We need one another. We need the word of God. We need his precious Holy Spirit ministering to us. That's the road that leads to life. But today we're gonna look at some, some very hard words and, and these are, are words where the gloves are coming off and, 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 and he's got some, some pretty serious words here for us to be able to say and, and, and this is the road that leads to death. And we will see that it is marked by a different kind of love. If the road that leads to life is marked with a love for God, the road that leads to death is marked by a different love and a different pursuit. And by now in verse 15, we see some strong words of exhortation, so a strong warning here from the Apostle John of the road that leads to death. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The question that arises from these verses is, who, where's your heart? Who has your heart today? Who or what do you truly love in this world? John says in a command here, a solid imperative command, do not love the world. It's also in the present, meaning do not be loving the world. Do not be allowing yourself to be tempted and to get pulled in, and yet it's hard because every, the second we walk out of here, we're going to see advertisements, we're going to see things that are going to want to draw us back into worldly thinking and into the world system. And here is what we see in this passage. I encourage, encourage you to write this down. The first thing, world love and father love cannot coexist. I didn't make that up. This is what the word of God says. Verse 15, if anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. World love and father love cannot coexist together. They just can't. Now, what does John mean by the word, by world love? What does he mean by not loving the world? Does that mean that we shouldn't enjoy creation? I mean, yesterday, Nate and I went on this bike ride up behind our house, kind of up in the former burnout area, and now it's springing to life with all kinds of green beauty and shrubs and trees are starting to, to build up all around in there. Oh, the beauty, it was so gorgeous. And, and I mean, it, I, I, it just increases your worship of God just when you see like, I can't believe, this is so gorgeous. My, my 2020, I'm sure it's still 2020, vision still cannot take this in. Not so good reading small print, but boy, I, I, oh, it's just like, this is like, incredible and the smells and, and then all of a sudden there's this nice little stream that, that, that had formed because of the somewhere the snow is melting and it's flowing into Okanagan Lake and Nate next thing you know he's swimming in this stream not really swimming he's kind of dipping himself a little bit in it and you see the beauty of God's creation and you just think God you're so amazing like this is you know does he mean like we're not to love this though do we don't love creation in this way or even last night um, Charlotte uh, we have a guest from Harvest Oakville with us um, this weekend and, and and they got talking about night crawlers. Next thing they're looking it up on YouTube. Next thing you know, we're looking out in the garden for night crawlers. Have you ever experienced a night crawler? We'll tell you about it afterwards. It's amazing. They, these, they look like these earthworms, but wow, can they move. They, whoo, they just zoom around. They went into a hole. I was trying to dig after it, you know, like a dog chasing something and, and couldn't get it. I mean, the thing was gone. Like, it was amazing. Night crawlers, God's creation. And, and these kind of things, no, he's not talking about not loving this. We are to love God's creation and, and, and his creation grows within us. Just his, his mind and just the way that he's 
created things, even night crawlers with, I don't know, a system, and you can catch them, but we didn't, had a, well, Jen did catch one, but I didn't, um, plus they're kind of slimy, but, but, but you see God's creation, and, 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 and no, he's not talking about God's creation here, the, he's, he's not saying we're not to love that, he, and he's definitely not talking about people. The seven billion people, when he's talking about world love, we're not talking about people, the seven billion people on this earth, we're not to hate them. We are to love them. We love them like God loves them. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Well, why is God loving the world and we're not supposed to love the world? Why does it say, because it's, he's talking something different here. The word world is same in English, but it's different in the original languages. It's different in Greek. And, and here, this word world means the world systems, ideas, activities, philosophies that are opposed to God's will and to God's word. The word world means the world systems, ideas, activities, and philosophies that are opposed to God's will and to God's word. He means here Satan's system, Satan's schemes for opposing the work and the word of God. It is a worldview that opposes the kingdom of God. And oftentimes we see it even in God's word is referred to as the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of this world. But we, and, but we must be aware and we must be full alert that the enemy is out there, that Satan and his demons are real. And we don't want to pay too much attention to that, but we also don't want to underpay the attention to it. Satan and his demons are real. And, and just in the same way that God has a plan for your life individually, specifically, and that plan is amazing and is good, you have to understand that Satan has a plan and his demons have a plan for your life, not for your good. It may look like good and he's going to lure you with good things, but it is a plan that leads to death. He wants to see your life destroyed. And if you're a believer in Christ and he knows the battle's already over, done for, for your eternal destiny, he wants to affect your joy. He doesn't want you to have any fruitfulness. He doesn't want your children to go on and follow Christ. And we continue to see that, that he still is very much active in this world. Oh, he's a, he's, he's a foe who's already lost and he knows it. And one day it will be fully revealed that he's lost. And yet he is still on the attack plan. Our enemy is Satan. We must realize that. Ephesians 6, I think we have this verse here on the screen. Just encourage you to write this down in verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes. Underline the word schemes there of the devil. The word schemes mean the methods or orderly tactical procedures. When, a, when an army goes into war, they're, they're they're, they're planning out a tactical attack to take on the enemy, to not only defend themselves, but to go ahead and to try to destroy the enemy. In the same way, the enemy, the devil, has schemes, orderly, tactically procedure to try to bring you down, to try to discourage us, to try to get, uh, steal our joy and to, to, to get us to love the things of this world. James 4, verse 4 tells us, do, not, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. World love and father love cannot coexist. We can't do it. And if we are in Christ, here, here, here's where we're at positionally. In Galatians 6.14, it says that we are dead to the world. And the world is dead to us. Positionally, that's where we stand. But practically, we're still in that war. But we've also, thanks be to God, we have the weapons to fight, to prevail, to be able to withstand the attacks that can be coming our way. And let's, let's be honest. Every one of us, 
every one of you, every pastor you've ever met, every godly person, we will struggle in this world. We will be tempted with worldly ambition. Pride can get in the way. Greed can consume us. There will be self-pleasure that we will seek after. There will be that sick, sad satisfaction of vengeful thoughts that will at times fill our mind. There will be sins of various kinds that will occur in our lives and we will be unkind, unloving, unfair, self-promoting. That's that's our flesh nature that, that continues to wage war. And as a believer, we don't embrace it. We don't justify it and say, well, it's just the way I am. My dad was like that. My grandfather was like that. So I'm just like that as well. No, we don't embrace it. We don't make excuses for it because we are new creations. The old is gone. The new has come. We have a new identity. That identity is as a chosen follower of the most high God. And so everything is different because of that. And as a believer, we don't embrace the world in this way. We just don't embrace it and say, well, you know. No, we hate it. We hate the world's systems and philosophies that drag us in and try to grab our attention. And, and we just don't hate it. We make war on it. We go to battle. And how do we do that? Through the word of God, through, through relationship. We, we have others walking with us in accountability. That's why, that's why we're big on desiring to see accountability and authenticity happen within small groups, uh, amongst relationships, that you get real with one another. Because no one is swinging and, and, and hitting, a th- batting a thousand. Watch a little baseball lately, so I'm kind of up on some ba- baseball lingo. I really don't know that much. But, you know, I mean, you're going to strike out. You're going to have troubles. And, 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 and you need some coaching. You need some help. You need one another. And John is saying true Christians, though, as we see here from the word of God and even here, that true Christians do not habitually love the world. You just can't do it. True Christians can't. You can't habitually love the world. World love and father love cannot coexist. We're going to struggle with the love of the world. And if you would say, no, I love the world. I am in it full, full board. You may not really truly know Christ. And that is something that, that, that we have to pay attention to. And so, folks, let's pull our heads out of the sand on this. There's a war going on, and it's over who will have your heart. What road are you walking? What road will you choose to walk when you leave here today? The road that leads to life, the road that leads to destruction. Who has your heart? Is it the father love or is it world love? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, 24, Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. You just can't do it. It's not wrong to enjoy the things of this world. God has put us, thankfully, and and with great humility. It should be with great humility that God has allowed, if you live here in this region, to be able to live here. It's a privilege. Something that should should garner praise to God, not, (laughs) I chose to move here because it's gorgeous. That's stinking pride. Let's kill it. We're thankful that God has allowed this to happen in your life for you to be able to live here and to enjoy God's beautiful creation. 1 Timothy 6, 17 says, God has given us richly, has given us richly all things for his glory, for us to be able to enjoy. But folks, we have to understand the pull that is here and, and especially even here in the Okanagan, what, what we're facing. <laughs> Come on, dig our, get our heads out of the sand on this. We are blessed. There's a lot of beauty that we get to experience. 
It's a lot different than Saskatchewan. I mean, Saskatchewan has its beauty, but it's a little bit different, you know? And, 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 and one of the things is um, we've had a number of harvest pastors come out here, and, and one in particular, Norm Miller, came out here last summer. Some of you would remember. He's from Harvest London. And, and I talked to him. We were away on holidays when, when he came and he preached here. And he said, you know, Meldon, you had often said a number of times in our gatherings and our get-togethers in Ontario or Chicago or wherever we were that, that it's tough ground here in in Kelowna, in the Okanagan, that there's, you know, a lot of materialism, a lot of consumerism, a lot of hedonism and, and, and that going on. And, and he, said, you know, he said, I think a lot of it's just thought, well, that's Canada. That's Canada. And, uh, you know, like we're a materialistic, consumeristic, very blessed kind of people, and we've become pretty arrogant and prideful about it. But then he came, and he was here for three or four days, and he said, but Melden, he says, the Okanagan, he says, the consumerism, materialism, and hedonism, he says, you guys are in steroids. He said, it is so strong and so prevalent here, and folks, this is something we fight against. We don't love this. We're not proud of it. And if we are, we're loving the world, and that's, that's dangerous. The, the, we, seeing his creation, seeing his people, seeing what he's doing, should, should garner our worship and our praise and our thanksgiving and just like, oh God, I don't deserve this. I thank you and I praise you. And because of that, I want to commit myself to you in even a greater way for all your glories and all your mercies that you've given to us. And so those are things we need to be careful of. God has given us richly all things to enjoy, even money. Money is not evil. It's not wrong. It's not wrong to have money, but it's wrong when money has you. And that is a trap that we can easily fall into when it controls you. Whether you have little or you have a lot, it doesn't matter. You can, you can have very little and be controlled by money. You can have a lot, have all that you ever need or want, and it can still control you. It's wrong when you find your identity in it, when you're constantly checking your your checking accounts and, 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 and your investments and, 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 and you're fretting about it, you're dreaming about it, you're obsessing about it, you're hoarding it. That's when these things, God's given us money, he's given it for our enjoyment, but is it controlling us? One of the quick ways you can answer that is where you're giving it to. You're giving it to yourself, to those around you for your nice little life, or are we giving it for the Lord's work? Does he get first fruit or does he get last fruit? Does he get any fruit? Good, good test of the heart there. You're saying, so is it wrong to be ambitious in my work or my career? No, we should work hard. We should be ambitious. Work with whatever you're doing with a full shovel, giving it all, giving it your best, not becoming a workaholic and, 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 and going too far in that, and we'll discuss that in a moment, but, but we should work hard and with ambition, but it's living with kingdom priorities, not our own personal priorities. Remember Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, he says, take care, or in other words, pay attention and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Oh, we think it does here, but it doesn't. Kingdom reality is that our lives do not consist of our possessions. What does the word tell us? The word, word of God tells us the total opposite of that. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, he says, where your treasure is, there is your heart. And as I said already from Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. And he goes on to say, no one can serve God and money. It'll have a pull on our heart. World love and father love cannot coexist together. We must be aware and we must understand there is a pull. It's like a magnetic pull towards us, towards these things. 
Second of all, we must understand that world love fights against our appetites. Here's how it happens. Here, here's how um, we, we can fall into the trap of, of worldly love. And it says in verse 16, it says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but it is from the world. Some translations will say the lust of the flesh or the cravings of the flesh. Something that takes such a weight on in our lives that it controls you and it drives you. Do you have one of those things in your life? What is it that controls you and drives you? You have to think about that. The cravings of the flesh, the lust of the flesh. Is it the love of God that's controlling you and driving you? Is it, the, is it other things? Let's face it, our flesh doesn't need a lot of training, does it? You don't need to podcast or go to seminars on how to, you know, feed the flesh. On, 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 you know, you don't need podcasts and seminars on how to feed, the, how to feed our flesh or how to take hate lessons, you know? You know I, I'm just really struggling with my ability to hate people, so I'm going to take a class on, on hating people. No, that comes pretty naturally. It's the opposite, learning to love people and love people with the love of Christ. That's where we need help. Or, or even, you know... Perhaps in the area of, you know, being a, I need to take a, a seminar. And, and I heard they're offering one, you know, this month, you know, in the library in Kelowna on how to be a taker rather than, no, we, we have no problems being able to take. We have a harder time giving. That's the work of the flesh that goes to work it against uh, work in our lives. And here's what happens. I encourage you to even write down this is a good little statement. Good things can become so important. We'll get to that in a moment. But good things can become so important that we feel that there's no way we could ever be happy or satisfied unless we have it. Until I have this, until I have this status, unless I have this in my life, until I have this achievement, then I won't be happy. And you know what? Once you get that house, once you get whatever it is that you think are going to make you happy and it's going to take all the pressure off, it won't. It won't satisfy. And we are willing to disobey God's laws at times to get it. And here's what I encourage you to write down. Good things can easily become God things. Good things can become little g God things in our lives. Take hunger, for example. There's nothing like enjoying a great meal, is there? I mean, for me, what, what's my go-to? What is it, if you know me well? Egg salad. Yes, egg salad, but I mean, let, let's even go for something even like, yeah, big, juicy beef. I mean, that, there's just something about that. Or egg salad, yeah, I mean, cherries. I mean, we live in a great place. For that. Charlotte makes these rhubarb buns in spring. Soon as there's a little bit of rhubarb, she's chopping it off, and she's putting this rhubarb in this fresh bread dough that, with, with the strawberry and some sugar, and, it, and, and, and the juices flow out of it, and you have to sop up this, this sticky bun and put it in your mouth. And as my father-in-law says, it slides nice. Oh, it's so good, that kind of, or thirst. I mean, we have thirst, that incredible cup of coffee from your favorite establishment that you spend six bucks on. Um, you know, or, or maybe you make it at home and it's that smell and it's that, that, that morning brew that just smells, coffee brew that smells so good. Or maybe you have your own favorite beverage of choice that just, you know, just, just quenches your thirst and it's like, oh, it's just so good. We have thirst desires, nothing wrong with that. One of my favorite cold drinks Got to experience this week, working out in the yard. We're trying to dig in some shrubs. I don't like planting trees around here. It's all rock and digging out, you know, and I was sweating profusely. It was Monday, it was hot. I was working at this. The best drink, what is it? It's the water out of the garden hose. 
Isn't that just the best? I mean, it's cold, and, and it, it has some additives from like a 20-year-old hose that it's, it's being cycled through, and it just has this flavor, and you just like, you just put it, you don't care where it goes, it just tastes so, I mean, for me, that quenches your thirst like nothing else. Give me some garden hose water any day that's cold, and it just, just quenches your thirst, you know? Or sleep. The desire for sleep. Every once in a while, you wake up, I hope you do every once in a while from a nap or, or from a sleep. I'm like, oh, that was a great sleep. I had one of those a few Sunday afternoons ago. Usually I don't sleep much, you know, maybe 10 minutes. I doze while watching TV or something. But, but I, I was out on our swing on our front deck and, and it was a little chilly still. I had a blanket on me and I was like, oh, I'm just going to close my eyes. Hour and a half later, I woke up and, and I woke up like, that was the best sleep ever. That was so good, you know. I won't say much about this, but sex. Something amazing that God has created for us to enjoy. And these desires and these longings can lead to praise and thanksgiving to God. These are normal, natural, God-given desires. But the danger is, is when we take God things and we turn them into little G God things to try to satisfy us outside and what the enemy will do is try to get us to see us satisfy these desires outside of the parameters of God's word. Hunger can lead to gluttony. And all the food shows and all this stuff, we can become foodies. We can easily become so obsessed by food, we have no obsession for God. It's all about my next meal and what I'm going to make next. Enjoy good food, but it can become gluttony. It can become a major focus in our life. Thirst can lead to drunkenness. Sleep can lead to slothfulness and laziness. Sex can lead to immorality when it's taken outside the parameters of God's word, which is one man, one woman for life committed in marriage to one another. That's God's parameter, period, end of story, exclamation mark. And the moment we take it out of there, we've taken God things and we've turned them into little g God things in our lives and, and that's the path that leads to destruction. Sin is fun though. Sin is enticing, it's powerful, it's attractive, and we're drawn to it just like bugs to the light. But first John, or in James chapter 1, verse 14, it says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. We all have a certain bent. We all have a certain kind of thing that, that, that will, 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 our go-to area of sin or, or struggle. It's different for me than it is for you. Then desire, it says, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. That's where it goes. It's kind of like a baited trap. It lures you in, but in the end, it gets you. I've told you, I think before, I've have, had a bit of a mice problem. We have some mice problem in our backyard. And I think now it's 28 that I've been able to inhumanely, well, the trap is taken care of, and, and they've been launched into the, into the yonder, not neighbor's yard, but out where there is no man's land kind of thing. And, and sadly, you know, one thing I've noticed, if there's no bait, no, you don't catch anything. You just don't. Like, if the peanut butter, and sometimes they outsmart me, and, and they eat the peanut butter out of the trap, then I don't catch anything. They, you, know, you need to bait the trap. And so far, I think it's 28 mice, one bird, sadly, got caught in one of them, and two slugs, and that was disgusting to catch one of those. I guess they like peanut butter. But traps are useless without bait. And so we must be aware that Satan is trying to bait us. He's trying to tempt us. He's trying to lure us in. And, and he fights. He, he takes these appetites, these desires that we have, and, and, and they're good, but he turns them into little G-God things in our life that we have to have, and we'll do whatever it takes again. 
Next, we see that the world fights for our affections. In verse 16, it says, it goes on to say, the desires are the lust of the eyes. We hear the statement that the eyes are a window to the heart. And we see something here that becomes so important that, 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 that if we see something, it becomes so important to us that we think our life won't be complete unless I have it. And that's what happened in the Garden of Eden to, to Eve, didn't it? She saw, she wanted, she took, and Adam joined her in that. David, looking at Bathsheba, he saw, he wanted, he took. And this speaks of greed and covetousness and materialism and sensuality and I see, I want, I take. And we're so bombarded with this. I heard one statistic this past week that, that we're exposed on a daily basis to 5,000 different advertisements, different things to try to be discontent with what we have and to want something else. And if you're on Pinterest or Facebook or some of these things, you probably are seeing 10,000. You're not keying in on every one of them, but all the advertisements, everything that's all around there is you're driving. As soon as you walk out of here, you're going to see, you're going to smell, you're you're going to see the things that are vying for our attention. And again, not all bad, but, but we get wooed in by these things. And you must have it. You won't be satisfied unless you get it. Houses, cars, possessions, the latest toys. Neighbor gets the more latest of toys, the new release. You got to have it. Your friend gets the newest phone. You got to have it. You got to have it before anyone else. And, and then we start looking at having certain experiences and thrills and rushes and think, I got to do that. And, and, and it just continues on. Or thinking, I need to have the perfect marriage. And, and, and we're unsatisfied until that happens. And we look at these images in social media and magazines and the lives of others. And it becomes an obsession. I see, I want, I get. I see, I want, I get. And if we're not careful, and, and, and I trust that today, I was hoping to maybe get some smelling salt here. That would be like for all of us, we take some smelling salts and like, whoa, like, it's so easy. We're getting lured in. We're not seeing it. We're going off center here. And, and God's word brings us back here as we look at these lusts and we see the appetites that we go for. Remember, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there is your heart. There is your affection. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And then we see that the world fights for our ambitions. Look at it in verse 16. It continues, the pride of life. It's not from the Father, but it is from the world. This is image, status, reputation. It's what others think about us. And, and, and it's bondage. We'll go into debt over our heads. We'll work ourselves into the ground. We'll drive others into the ground. We'll exaggerate. We'll cheat. We'll lie. Do something in some way to kind of prove ourselves to others so that others will think that we're something when really we're not that great. Um, and it's about achievements. And what other people are thinking, the pride of life. I'll admit to you, like, do you guys ever do that? Do you, do you ever kind of try to bolster who you are by what you say or what you do? When I was in college, I it was a cheap, you know, poor college kid. And uh, I would go to the ATM machines, they had them back then, and, and uh, I would, you know, get some money out. But then what I would do is I look through some of the statements that people left there, and I'd find one with a, a decent-sized balance. Like, like, how sick is this, right? So I would take the, you know, uh, the one that I could find with the highest balance, and then I'd just leave it in my vehicle so that when someone borrowed my car, or I hoped that maybe I'd get a girl to ride in the car with me, and I'd, whoop, gonna go get some gas, that she'd look and say, oh, what is this guy? <gasps> wow, he's rich! You know, yeah, I never really had that um, until later on. And, um, you know, have you ever done anything silly like that to kind of make yourself look a little better than you are? Or am I just in you know, a state of honesty and I should be embarrassed now? I'm not because I know you do it. And you've done it. Truth be known, as a pastor in my early years, and when we moved into Alberta, we, it, church attendance went like this when we came there. It was like, what is going on here? You know, but then slowly, God started doing great work, and we saw growth go, go and go and go, but it became kind of addictive, and it became kind of like part of my identity and seeing this happen. And so 
I found the usher's little booklet. Every church has one. And, uh, and, and, and I found the usher's booklet, and, and I would go middle of the week, and I'd look at the attendance, like, oh, that was wrong. You know, and, and, and I would, you know, change the numbers a little bit because it's all about growth. I mean, that became an idol in my life. That became an area of pride, and, and God had to convict me and do a work in my life. And, 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 and now, very often, I don't like to know. We need to know where numbers are, but it's not this weekly obsession because it can, a good thing can become a God thing in, in our lives, even like that. We must remember that where your treasure is, there is your heart. And the world is fighting, fights us. World love fights for our ambition. And the third thing we must understand here, though, is world love will not satisfy or last. Look at verse 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. These appetites, these affections, these ambitions will never satisfy. It's going to be like drinking that nice garden hose water, but it's ocean water, it's salty. And we can drink it and it can be freezing cold, but it'll never satisfy. We'll want more and more and more and you keep drinking that, it'll kill you. It'll kill you. We see this week after week, sadly, in our media. Chris Cornell, the singer from the grunge band Soundgarden is just among the latest, along the long line of celebrities who were successful. They have he had everything that you and I oftentimes think we need to be successful. He just finished coming off a, a concert in Detroit where I'm sure people were singing along and grunge music, whatever he, he was doing there, and, you know, and, and had his faithful fans and followers, had his sweet you know, paycheck that was rolling in and endorsements and record deals and all of that. He had it all. And after the concert's over, he goes to his hotel room and he hangs himself in the bathroom. We see this and yet we don't learn from it. The idols, the possessions, and that name that we're trying to obtain, they're gonna crumble. They're gonna get forgotten. Your kids are gonna take your money. Like, it's just gonna happen. Like all of these things we're working towards, that, that car will rust. That house will get holes in the walls and eventually will be torn down. World love will not satisfy, it will not last. Yet it's so easy to embrace this kind of thinking and living and get so caught up on it. And what, listen, folks, whatever commands our time, our energy, and our resources commands us. Whatever is commanding our time, our energy, and our resources, it commands us. How much, how much God time do we give on a daily basis? Is that commanding us? Would it show that in the time that we're spending with God that he has a commanding work and hold on our life? So what do we do? Do we sell our possessions, smash our phones, get rid of our TV sets? Well, well, maybe, maybe you may have to take some drastic actions of some sort. But it starts by analyzing our lives. Yes, our spending, our goals, our plans, and we bring them under the scrutiny and under the word of God. And, and at times this is where brothers and sisters in Christ can be helpful on this. And perhaps some drastic measures need to be taken. Maybe you need to quit your job. Maybe you need to make some changes in, in areas of, of spending or in areas where, where, where you're in debt and, and it's, the debt is killing you and, it, and it's all because of reputation or whatever it might be. You stand before God on this and, and what he's telling you to do and with an open and honest heart. Or, or maybe we should join a commune or some sort of a colony, you know, like isolate ourselves from any of these outside influences. Well, that's been tried. It doesn't work. We don't do that, and plus the Word of God tells us not to, that we are to be in the world, but we're not to be of this world. So how do we do that? Well, it starts with us being honest 
and asking ourselves some tough questions. What's capturing your heart? What's capturing my heart today? What are we living for? What do you dream about? What captures your dreams? Whose glory are you living for? Your glory? My glory or God's glory? Whose praise are you living for? The praise of God or the praise of your family or praise of those around you? Is it a love for God that we have or is it a love for the world? From one of the commentaries I was using this past week, there were some good questions that came up that I'd like to share with you. Here's some, some questions we can ask ourselves to help reveal if we're living for the things of this world, are we living for the focus on me or in the focus on God? And here's some questions. How does my life go? Do I make as, is my focus on making as much as possible or is it on giving as much away as possible? Making a name for yourself or making his name great? Do what makes you happy or do what makes God happy? Offer acts of service when you feel like it on your terms or be a servant when uncomfortable and inconvenient? I do the will of the world or I do the will of the Father? Look at verse 17 here in 1 John chapter 2. It says, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. What is the will of God? In short, it's the word of God. Living under the authority and the teaching of the word of God. One day someone asked Jesus, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Boil it all down. Bottom line, Cole's notes, what's it all about? In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. It's about loving God and loving others. Oh, we're going to struggle. We're going to struggle. We're going to get drawn into wanting to love the world. But if we're in Christ, we are going to sense that Holy Spirit conviction and we want to make that right and we want to bring it back around and confess and repent of those areas. The Puritans um, spoke and, and wrote about the ex expulsive power of a new affection. How do we drive out the, the love of the world? How do we drive out world love? Just getting rid of stuff, put a bunch of rules, live a stricter life, walk around with blindfolds on, try driving that way. Is that what we're to do? No. The only thing powerful enough to drive out our love for the world is by a growing, deepening love for the Father. A growing and a deepening love for the, wor for the world is driven out by a growing and deepening love for God and who he is for the gospel, for the, for the sacrifice of Jesus. It's not that our attraction to sin is too strong, it's that our love for God is too weak. It's an understanding more and more how much we are loved, how much we are forgiven. It's the understanding that, that he loves us as chosen children. And the problem for most of us in this room, I honestly believe it, it, it it's not that we don't love and pursue God we do, it's evident, it's evident in so many of your lives. It's beautiful to see, but it's just not as a first priority. We're trying to love God and the world, and when that happens, it's that mushy middle. And we lack joy and power, we can lack assurance, down deep we're miserable. We're conflicted in our love. It's daily to reflecting, we need to 
How we grow this love by daily reflecting on the stained cross, on the blood-stained cross of Christ. The love, the sacrifice, the forgiveness, the power and the grace that is available through a, to, to us from Christ. And how richly we see that he will provide all things. We don't need to carve out our identity. We have a new identity in him. Our identity, we're hidden with him in Christ. And here is a passage that makes this so clear. I encourage you to write this down. I don't think it's on the screen. Matthew 13, verse 45. This is Jesus speaking. Two, two verses sum it up. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in a search of, of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and he bought it. Jesus is the pearl. Jesus is the pearl of great value, of great price. He's the one worth giving up everything for and realigning our lives around him. Are we willing to give up everything in order to find our satisfaction in him? We're trying to find it in, in, in anything and everything else. Pursue the pearl of great price, of great value. Turn, as the old hymn goes, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. The love of the world just fades away as we focus on Christ. Who do you love this morning? Are you pursuing him this morning? C.T. Studd, an old pastor, wrote these words, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come to you today and we realize that we are conflicted in our loves often. And God, I pray that even today as we worship you here this morning that we would turn our attention to your great love and your great mercy, to the love of God. Would we repent of those areas in our life that are causing us to chase after the things of this world, to make changes if necessary, to do whatever it takes to, to purchase this pearl of great value. And the great thing is our salvation, we don't have to purchase it. Our salvation is free, but it does mean we give things up to follow you, to turn and to walk your way. We can't live in the world and we can't live pursuing the road and, and the love of the Father. We just can't do it. And God, real life flows out of an all-out, passionate, intense love and pursuit of you. Spending time in your word, obedience follows from that as we take and we desire to live your word and, and to do what your word calls us to do. Help us to follow you today and declare, not just with our lips, but through our lives and by our heart, how much we love you. We love you, Jesus. We love you for all that you have done. Let's stand together and worship and declare that to him this morning. Encourage this to be a prayer on your heart.